Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, a horse called Bottle of Smoke kicked down and shot in the back of the head. I'll sleep tight down in hell tonight. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here you are again with This Is Vinyl Tap, coming to you live from the Vinegar Rune Saloon in North Central North Austin. And I'm joined, of course, by Tony Hagel. <laughs> what is it, Jim? <laughs> Slagle. Uh, Tony Slagle. Uh, sorry, Tony, I, I messed up. That's okay. And our uh, extremely humble producer, uh, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Good evening, Tapsters. And we have a doozy for you tonight. Uh, you better get your um, jig shoes on, because this is dancing music, if you ask me. In fact, I accidentally started dancing at the gym because of this album, <laughs> and it wasn't the cool kind of dancing the kids do now. It was kind of hopping about. The album tonight is If I Should Fall From Grace. Damn, say it. <clears throat> if I Should Fall From Grace With God. I can't even say it because the idea just it horrifies me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, of course, what I'm talking about is the band The Pogues. This is an Irish, English, who knows? UK, yes. Well, yeah, we're all family now over there, right? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, this is this is a, a band uh, where the members are all uh, from England, but it's very, very Irish. And if I may just it's take... It's more a, Irish than a lot of Irish bands. It is. Yeah. And, including uh, you two. It, oh, yes, much so. <laughs> and if I could just take a brief aside and say, because we're talking about the Pogues tonight, we are... Imbibing a bit. Ah, uh, yes. We've got some Guinness and some Red Bird 12 Irish whiskey. Thank or, you, I'm sorry, Tony. Red Breast Road 12. Red Breast. Thank Irish. you. It is a bird. It is a bird. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's a big deal over there if an American robin is, is seen on their continent. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming, I'm sorry, y'all are in a continent, an island. Um, and I know it's a big deal if a European. Uh, Robin comes over here, so that's kind yeah, of exciting. We, we, exciting. we felt like we needed to have a little bit of uh, liquid courage to get through this that's one right. tonight. Yeah. Normally, we just have uh, sipping iced tea. Yeah, sipping iced tea. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a fantastic album. If you don't know about this album, you're in for a treat tonight. But before we start, I have a new feature called 
Connections. Oh, Lord. Oh, boy. It used to be called We Have All Been Here Before. But we got tired of hearing Doug sing that, yes. so we so, asked him to change the name. Now it is called Connections. Those of you who are uh, BBC fans probably remember the program. But uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a great program. Was it was. It was fascinating, and he copied us on the title. Um, <laughs> the, us being This Is Vinyl Tap. Yeah. The, yeah. Did we say This Is Vinyl Tap? Yeah. Uh, no, the... The way you play this game is I'm going to ask these guys to come up with connections to previous episodes. Okay. I'll give them a little hint and see if they can find the connection. Okay. Some of them are going to be very, very easy. Okay. All right. And some of them will have more than one connection to the item I mentioned. Number one, Uh extremely easy, big country. Steve Lillywhite. Steve Lillywhite, the producer. That's right. Okay. That's a point for each of you. And they used guitars, too. Yeah. <laughs> How about a harder one? All right. This isn't really harder. Sorry. Elvis Costello. He produced, he produced uh, the album before this one. Rum, and Sodomy, and the, Sodomy and, the and the EP as well. And, and, and he was married to the Pogues... Uh, Bass player, and, and he made a bet with them, and that's why we have Fairy Tale of New York. Is that, okay. And they were both on uh, Stiff Stiff Records. That's Thank the one you. I was God, looking I for. I couldn't think of that. Yes, they were both on Stiff Records. Okay, Are y'all ready? Yeah, The Clash. Drove drummer uh, produced their Hell's Ditch, which was their 1991 album. It was, and he also sang for the band when they fired Shane McGowan. Yeah. And they opened for The Clash as well. And the final connection, which I hopefully will talk about a little bit more, he was playing on stage when Shane McGowan got his first taste of infamy. With, he was playing on stage with The Clash when Shane McGowan was 18 years old and got his first taste of infamy. infamy that's a little foreshadowing for something ah. to talk about later. All right. So, And if we knew that's more, great. we could probably go all night on uh, on connections there. Yeah. Okay, I think i got a harder <laughs> one here. Okay. The Zombies? Uh, Abbey Road? No Mellotron. I don't know. (laughs) Normally, there would be a Mellotron in here, but uh, this is probably the least Mellotron band we've talked about or will talk about. Huh. Abby Road. I'll give you a hint. Okay. W. W. One? Uh Uh-huh. Ah. Oh, there's a song about WW1 on this. That's right. Yeah. The Great War. They both uh, visit the Great War. Yeah. Okay. And there's probably many others. And um, the the last one, uh, the last quiz question is, why are we experts? Well, Steve Earle. Uh, oh, yeah, Steve Earle. There's a Steve Earle connection. Oh, yeah, okay. Steve Earle, uh, they played on Steve Earle's, what is it, Johnny Come Marching Home? or one of, one of, It played uh, on a Steve Earle song. Hey! 
I just wondered if John Cavana was uh, plays on this album, and he also played with uh, Doug Som, Augie Myers, and Flaco Jimenez. So I'm assuming uh, I didn't know that, but yeah, it's a that, huge Texas that connection. Yeah. So this is practically a Texas album. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm JM. I'm very uh, very excited that you picked this album. And I have to tell a little story. Once upon a time. J.M. and I were at a uh, big ranch down by the border near Eagle Pass. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we have driven by a thousand times was a casino, an Indian casino. It was the Kickapoo Magic Eagle Casino. And we said, we got to go see this thing. We've been seeing it for seven or eight years. Let's go look at it. Yeah. And we went in there, and it was absolutely the most depressing <laughs> thing on earth I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere it's tiny everyone uh, in there is drunk and smoking yep. and depressed so, so. and a whole bunch of people putting their social security into uh, yeah. the little machine sounds like a casino Probably. outside of vegas i bet some people like. have lost land and houses in that casino so as we walked out we heard a fight break out unlike most fights that i have seen this fight involved only one person <laughs> <laughs> it was a man That's hitting right. himself in the face as hard as he could, tell, calling himself bad words that we don't use on this program. <laughs> and literally, I didn't know a person could hit themselves in the I face no at idea. full power, but he was doing it. I think he lost. <laughs> and I think he lost more than he had to uh, lose. Yeah. Um, but that this album reminded me of that because <laughs> that's how I feel about not having listened to this album for years and years before today. Well, have you listened to any other Pogues before? This? I have. Anyway, huh. this this album is it blew me away this week, and uh, Jam. Now that I've taken all your thunder, <laughs> why did you pick this album? Well, you've you've touched on a lot of things about it. Um, I'm gonna, one of the things I'm going to say is what amazes me about this band is they, uh, the songs almost sound like they come from another time. I mean, I could almost... Some of them do. Yeah, some of them do. But it's almost like 150 years ago, you could this album could have been played. You know, th- th- this, this band could have made these songs. Some of the song, the topics are, uh, yeah, they're... they're contemporary or relatively contemporary but still just the whole attitude the whole the way that the songs are played the way that they're sung uh you just you got the feeling that they're they're timeless they, they just they seem like they just come from they could exist in any time um the same thing with the lyrics i mean the lyrics almost always seem like they're from another time uh and you know they almost sound like a a, a pissed off chieftains to me The chieftains are kind of the national band of Ireland. For those who don't know, think the po- at least think- for, at least for Americans, yeah. I think the, po- <laughs> the Pogues would prefer the comparison to the Dubliners, probably. <laughs> Welcome to the 
out his money and it made a pretty penny. Um, and then there's a kind of a sentimental attachment to this. This album was released right before my first trip ever to uh, Europe, which was in England. And uh, I kind of believe that the British consider themselves part of Europe. <laughs> I don't think Europe <laughs> considers itself part of England. Yeah. <laughs> the way you well, said that yeah. uh, England, uh, Europe is in England. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I went to Europe <laughs> and the place that I went to in Europe was England. So, um, yeah, it, which you left the continent yeah, and went to, to England. A, we went yeah. to an island. It's yeah. like saying Texas is part of the United States. Yeah, we don't, we don't, uh, <laughs> we don't say that. Um, so I was kind of longing when I came back, I was just, I was loved it there. It was, you know, it was all green and I spent some time in the countryside there. And I, so I was just kind of longing for things that were, uh, from the UK, I guess it's the best way to put it. And a buddy of mine had this album, told me I had to hear it, brought it over to my apartment and I absolutely fell in love with it. I could not get enough of this, this album. Um, and so, yeah, like, there's my romantic attachment to it. And and finally, I thought this was a very appropriate time of year to bring up this album because it probably has the best secular Christmas song ever on it. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. But it's probably one of their best known songs. I, I Yeah, I think Shane McGowan might take, take offense to you calling anything he wrote secular. But, <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as an adult, it's like a, this is one of the albums that I discovered, you know, when I was in my early 20s and it's really stayed with me. It, it, it's never I've never lost it's never lost its luster for me I, as an adult. I still listen to it and still love it as much as the day that the first day that I heard it. And it was just a blast listening to it um, these few days. Well, so. I I came late to the Pogues, um, much like Doug, when I discovered them my immediate question to myself was self what the hell's wrong with you and uh <laughs> i i came into them 2012 maybe is hmm. when i maybe 2010 i um i stumbled upon their second album rum sodomy and the lash yeah and instantly fell in love with it yeah and so, it's got it's got some great songs on yeah. it as well but i i mean that's and i mean i did a deep dive and and gobbled up as much pogues as i could possibly gobble up at the time because it just was so it, you just couldn't get enough of it it's like oh i'm done with this album what else do they have out there oh there's this there's this there's this jam mm-hmm. uh who produced this record well it's a guy we visited before it's a Man by the name of Steve Lily White. Yeah, not that long ago. Not that long ago. Yeah, he produced uh, the other an album we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Big Country's uh, The Crossing. He, uh, you can go back and listen to that to learn a little bit more about Steve Lily White. But just to kind of recap, he was probably, especially for UK bands, he was probably the most sought after producer um, around at that time. He produced so many albums from the 80s, um, and he was also um, a, an expert mixer and engineer. So a lot of time, that's how he got his start. Um, I would think that more than producing, mixing so that this thing comes out clean, and it is clean. Yeah. It is. I, but there is so much going on. There is. I don't know how you clean that I, up. I'm fascinated yeah. as well by just talking about the two albums that he's produced that we've talked about are so entrenched in the the feeling of the culture that both of those bands are were yeah. striving for yeah. with big country it was a scottish highlands type of thing and uh of course that said like a texan so i apologize to any of the scots <laughs> listening anyway irish 
<laughs> have great songs and a great way of expre- expressing music. The in the uh, the folk album, music. It's, it's the it's. I don't know any other country has folk music that moves me like I. I like their folk music a lot better than our folk yeah. music. Well, yeah. it's just it it um it doesn't shy away from anything. And it's and it's and it find oddly enough finds joy in almost everything. And it's yeah. it's always painful topics. Yeah, come, but there's they come right. out. It's uh, it's you know, it's an American folk song. It's going to end up. Well, it's going to be just nothing. Happily ever after. Well, probably. after so, after you answer four million questions first. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, well, you, we're yeah. way off. But you know what the, the the Irish tradition that was brought over here—that's where we get the fiddles, and uh, that's where we get banjos, and that's where we get um, even some of the songs. "Streets of Laredo" was originally a um, a song brought over from Ireland, and it's a fantastic song. It is a fantastic well, song. Yeah. Well, uh, who who stands out on this album uh, the, as the far as the players go? And don't don't do uh, a spi- deal spider Stacy. <laughs> yeah, don't do a deal about when you're walking through the countryside, <laughs> matey. No, that's that's wrong. Sorry, Spider Tracy is is probably the the guy who really stands out on this. <laughs> and, and and not to correct you, Jam, it's Spider Stacy. Did I say Spider Tracy? You spider spider Stacy. I'm sorry, yeah, Spider okay. Stacy. Yeah. That's the Americanizing of an. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of these guys play more than one instrument. Here's, here's a guy named Jen Fisher who plays also plays the banjo and he plays the mandola, which is like um, it's the same tuning as a viola, but it's like a, it's like a mandolin only tuned like a viola. The mandolin's tuned like a violin, and the uh, uh, whatever the hell you said is tuned like a viola. Yeah, a mandola. The name of this band, mm-hmm. the Pogues. Pogues Mahone. Uh, the name, the initial name of the band was um, was Pogue Mahone, which is an anglicized uh, way of saying "kiss my arse" in Irish Gaelic, um, and uh, sort of from the get go lays the foundation of the attitude this band is going to have on uh, on what they're doing. They ended up shortening it to the pogues uh because they were uh, worried about getting limited exposure with the, some people started complaining because their first their first single was released under the name pogues Mahone, and so there was a little concern about them getting some exposure so they decided to drop it um so anyway the two people that started the band were shane mcgowan and spider <sighs> stacy yeah oh, i'm sorry uh, that was applause and, and fanfare. <laughs> uh, Shane McGowan had played in a couple of bands before. The main band he was in was called the Nipple Erectors or the Nips, and they are fantastic. Mm-hmm. They are great. There's a song uh, that we will put on the website called Gabrielle that is one of the greatest things i've ever heard in my life but all of the stuff i listened to was great so um as jam has mentioned he was born he was born in the uk um from irish parents he spent his youth um in ireland on his um i think his grandparents or his aunt uncle's farm i wish i yeah. knew that i don't remember which it is there's some relative but yeah he spent um, summers in ireland. and then and then um you know, when he was bullied as a as a kid because of his last name, because of his teeth, surprise, surprise, <laughs> and his ears. Um, 
but he he gains infamy as I mentioned earlier the, for the first time at a class show. He is um, he's at this show and in the audience is a guy um, by the name of uh, Barry Miles who. Pink Floyd fans may know him as the guy who was one of the co-founders of the International Times Magazine, who were big proponents of early Floyd, Sid Barrett Floyd. He also has written a fantastic uh, um, photo biography of the band that I've had forever. It's great. Anyway, he just went by Miles. But at the time, he's writing for New Musical Express, or NME, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And he's at this class show. This is in October of 76. You know, just to see what's what's this all what's all the hubbub, and Shane McGowan, who at the time was named affectionately known as Shane O'Hooligan, uh, <laughs> was in the crowd, and he's uh, he and this girl are biting each other, and they're in in the front of Barry Miles and the photographer, and they can't really get a good view of the show, so they just start the photographer starts taking pictures of. Shane McGowan and this and this woman who was famous in her own right. I don't remember her name. Uh, mm-hmm. Mad something or other. Um, anyway, well, he's not famous Mad at Judy. all by this point. Not at this point, but he's about to be because what happens is this woman bites his ear and smacks him upside the head, and he starts bleeding like crazy. <laughs> they take a picture of this. It's put. Um, it's put on. I believe the maybe even the the cover of the New Musical Express. With a, and the article is about cannibalism at a class show. And the picture of it is Shane McGowan with this big goofy grin on his face and blood running down the side of his head. And he becomes infamous from that. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and as JM has mentioned, he was in a, he then shortly after that ends up becoming or starting a band called the nips which was very very popular at the time but spider stacy was in a band called the Mil- millwall chainsaws around the same time and um and jim finer who is also was the banjo player for the future banjo player for the pugs is also in that band the yeah. millwall chainsaws shane mcgowan played off and on with them until the nips broke up and that's when the two of them officially joined forces because they met they met at a Ramones, like all the great punk yeah. stories. Met. They met at a Ramones gig, uh, in the bathroom, in the bathroom, uh, in the Johnny. Uh, and this was not the, you know, this isn't the Ramones gig that all the other famous punks in the UK were at. This is not the July fourth, nineteen seventy six, at the Roundhouse where the Clash, the Future Clash, and the Future Sex Pistols and the Future Damned were at. This is a year later, after punk had kind of already made its inroads in the UK and the show it was at the roundhouse again, but the show had the talking heads and a band called the saints opening for them. And so, uh, yeah, spider Stacy and, and Shane McGowan met at, um, met in the bathroom at that show. They started Pogue Mahone, which changed, then they changed their name to the Pogues. They've had people kind of come and go, but one of the people that they, uh, had for a while was a female bass player by the name of, Court or Raiden? Yes. The but at the same name. time they added her, they added added Andrew Rankin on drums as well. You know, they kind of take the world by storm almost initially, I mean, almost immediately by, they record this single called The Dark Streets of London. The B-side of it is a song called um, The Band, and the band played, the wa- played Waltzing Matilda. And the band played Waltzing Matilda As we stopped to bury our 
And we buried ours, and the Turks buried theirs. They only initially did uh, release 234 copies of it. They end up getting the interest um, of Stiff Records because of the single, and also because their live show is going crazy. It's going crazy enough to where they they tour with The Clash in the UK. And so Stiff Records Records ends up signing them. And uh, another thing that gets them some notoriety is there's a television show called the tube which is a pretty influential music program at the time mm-hmm. and the, the tube starts playing a video that they produce for this song called waxy's gargle which is a traditional irish folk song and in it it's a crazy video but in it, spider stacy is repeatedly smashing himself in the head with a beer tray <laughs> And uh, is and that on our website? It is on our website. What is our website? Uh, tappingvinyl.com. And uh, and it'll be on the Pogues page. But uh, this became part of their repertoire. Spider Stacy smashing himself in the skull with a, with a, uh, um, in time to the music, I might add, with a beer tray. Um, and this video was huge. This video became very, very popular. So this band starts getting some notoriety and some success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then end up they end up for stiff end up recording Red Roses for Me, which is their debut album. So Red Roses for Me is released in '84. It's got um, it's got Waxy's Dargle on it. It's got a song called Streams of Whiskey, which is a fantastic song that Shane McGowan, uh, as he puts it, is a blatant adulation of an IRA man. <laughs> Brendan Behan, who's or Behan, who is somebody who uh, is um, very influential in Shane McGowan's writing. This is a guy who ended up becoming a writer after he spent some time in jail for um, trying to blow up. I, I got, again, I don't know. I think it might have been a train station in Liverpool or something. He was caught and got and went to jail. Um, anyway, uh, he he plays prominently in Shane McGowan's. Uh, sort of uh mystique Mm -hmm. this album only hits uh 80 number to 89 on the charts but it's enough to get them into the studio to do run Saudi and the lash which as you mentioned was produced by elvis costello my favorite album by them it's named after an apocryphal understanding of that term being what winston churchill called the royal navy supposedly winston churchill this is not true but supposedly he said of the royal navy it's nothing but rum sodomy and the lash and that got ingrained in the UK psyche, and so they thought, "Oh, what a great name for an album!" Rome Sodomy. Mean, he he was a secretary of the Navy. I don't know if he was when he said that. Uh, he never said it. I know it, yeah. when he didn't say that. Yeah. I don't know if he yeah. was sick. Yeah. But uh, it's like in, in our country, everything is attributed to Mark Twain or Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> that is true, or or Ben Franklin too. Ben, yeah. <laughs> uh, it it has. Sally McLennan, which if you've not heard that song. And it's got this amazing version of, of uh, Ewan McCall's Dirty Old Town, probably the quintessential version of that it song. Is, yeah, they do a great version. Um, that gets them to number 13. In the UK. In the UK. Yeah. 
Yeah, they don't. They, they never they haven't made a splash. They at all, never right. charted, and it's 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 the funny thing about that is one <laughs> of the songs on this album we're talking about, "Fairy Tale in New York." I think everybody and their mother thinks that song was an enormous hit in the states, and it didn't chart at all. Uh-uh. But everyone's heard it. Yeah, mainly I think probably because the video was played a lot on MTV yeah. or VH1 or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know who joins the band at this time when they're recording "Rum Sodomy and the Lash"? Philip Chevron. Oh, yeah. Because Piner went on paternity leave, and they needed somebody to come in and play guitar. Yeah. Um, so he does He does that. Um, yeah, and also Shane McGowan played more guitar back in the day, and he wanted to concentrate on his singing, which I think we're all better for that he got to do that. Yes. And and the other thing that happens during this time with Elvis Costello, because Elvis Costello was the producer of this and the EP that followed Pogatry. Poetry in Motion, which is such a great name, <laughs> yeah. um, which also includes two classic Pogue songs, Rainy Night in Soho and The Body of an American. The Body of the American is easily one of my top three Pogue songs. Look by the lights that by the house and the yanks they were within. And a tanker boys, they hissed advice that were with us. And um, and it's also just briefly uh, in in an amazing scene in The Wire, the HBO show The Wire. Their their manager tries to talk them into writing a Christmas song, and Elvis Co- and they can't. And so Elvis Costello, who was a producer at the time, made a bet with them. I bet you can't write a Christmas song. And they said, "We'll take you up on that. We'll talk about that more later." Yeah. But this is when it happened, and they struggled mightily with doing that until the album we're talking about. Boy, and they knocked it out of the park. And then that's where we got Little Drummer Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sort of a major um, uh, personnel change happens between the EP and this album that actually impacts that song we're going to be talking about as part of this album. And that's that um, Corda Raiden, probably mispronounced her name again, uh, leaves and marries Elvis Costello. And Shane McGowan... Uh, has said many times publicly he th- he thought that's the whole reason Elvis Costello was interested in producing him in the first place <laughs> because he wanted to he wanted to get to know her better. Huh. Anyway, I just thought, I just thought that was important because it, yeah. it it impacts this it impacts some of the songs on this album. She she ends up leaving. Yeah, she um, did sing some of those. Well, she sang at least one song on Rum Sodomy and the Lash, and she she. Um, so they were out. They were without a female singer. They had no females in the band at this point. They yeah. add Terry Woods, who was formerly with Steel Eye Span, which is odd to me. Um, and uh, and um, uh, I forget, oh, Daryl Hunt ends up replacing a Raiden. Yeah. Uh, I, I bet if you go back and listen to this, I pronounced her last name differently every time I said <laughs> it. Uh, and we're not about consistency. It's the hobgoblins of small minds. But so if you look at the cover of this album, which is not the most uh, impressive cover of um, If I Should Fall From Grace With God, it's got all the players on it, and it's a it's a big group of guys. Yeah, yeah. and you look at this cover, it makes you think that the sun doesn't shine in Ireland all that much. <laughs> well, we know that's not true. It's very green. Yeah. So real quick, just I think just before we talk, we should name a kind of give the litany of the of the guys who are the core of this band at the time. So there's obviously Shane McGowan, Spider Stacy is still Tin Whistle, 
uh, James uh, Fernley, who we didn't mention, who had joined the band previously, was the accordion player, pan- piano. He played mandolin, dulcimer, a bunch yeah. of other stuff. Uh, Jello. Uh, Jim, <laughs> Jim Finer, who's a banjo and saxophone player. Andrew Rakin, who plays drums, or Rankin plays drums. Philip Chevron, who I mentioned, uh, joined for guitar, also mandolin vocals. Mm-hmm. Also wrote a fantastic song on this album. And then Daryl Hunt took over on bass. And then Terry Woods who plays the yeah. sister and lute, the concertina, a bunch of other stuff. So that's kind of the main group yeah. of the Pogues. And then there's a ton of other people who play on this album. Yeah. And this is called Celtic Punk. Yeah. And I don't, you know, the punk deal, it's there in Attitude. But I don't think I hear it in the I don't music. Hear, I don't know why they call it punk. Because yeah. it's their attitude. I mean, this is a... this. Okay. It's, Just it's, as long as we agree on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean, want anybody telling me this is... Uh, two um, chords over and over again. And no, no, no. But one, well, one of the aspects of Shane McGowan is there's littered throughout his songs are these howls of desperation that, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, that's that's true yeah, of true. all genres of music. Anyway, I just, uh, I, I don't think that is a, I know we talk about labels here, but I think that fits better than almost anything else, else I to would describe say, this. Uh, Celtic punk attitude. Okay. Yeah. Because this guy does want to punch everyone he meets in, in these <laughs> Well, here's here's the simple truth about this music. It makes you want to dance, love, drink, and fight all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and occasionally weep. Yes. I should I you I I regret not mentioning weep. I apologize. You can do that while you do the others. <laughs> all right. Ladies and gentlemen, our first song, If I Should Fall from Grace with God. I should fall from grace with God, where no doctor can relieve me. If I'm buried beneath the sun, but the angels won't see me. Let me go, boys, let me go, boys. Let me go down in the mud where it's all a dry. Is there a better <laughs> opening to an album than this? Welcome to the pool of folks, boys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know it, yeah. I... I think this is, uh, in some way, a really bad opening. Why? Why? Because it was so hard to go to the next song. (laughs) I just wanted to hear this over and over, and it was sheer willpower to make me move on. Well... I, I needed to be tied to the mast of his we, ship like a, a, a little. <laughs> one, one of the things I neglected to mention was prior to this album, the Pogues did a soundtrack for a movie called Straight to Hell, which um, had, uh, among other people, it's got uh, Joe Strummer in it, it's got uh, Courtney Love in it, it's got Dennis Hopper in it. It's kind of a, a spaghetti western. And this song is from that soundtrack. They wrote a very a slower paced kind of countryfied version of this song which is great it's not as good as this version yeah. but it is great um because i I'm, I'm gonna say this now and just get out of the way i find it hard to dislike anything these guys do yeah Sh- shane mcgowan says uh the song was inspired by gospel and country songs where they have one verse about god and the rest of the song is about killing everybody else <laughs> which i thought was pretty funny um his vocals on this are on every. It's uh, yeah. it's yeah. his, his voice is perfect. It is impossible to think of someone who could sing these songs better. Let's take a moment to just talk about his voice because um, it hasn't wasn't always that way. My kids 
who will routinely tell me when they're listening to something, oh, oh that guy's it. They love the Pogues. They love his voice. And they, they're, they're um, oddly attracted, and I don't mean like physically, but attracted to Shane McGowan. He's such a presence in everything yeah. that they're fascinated by the guy. And, uh, and, and everybody and, has an id. And he is all id. <laughs> yeah. So when you hear him, your id is going, you go, man, you go. I can't get out and do that, but you're doing it for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really hate the fact that I never saw this band live because I think it would have probably changed my life. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm scared. If I had if I saw this now, it's it's like someone's given uh s- given singing cards to your demons. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's some uh, it's some strong, powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the banjo that comes in in between each verse, uh, is, that just brings a smile to my face every every well, time. That, that's another thing to to mention. Think about a, this band, okay, which had huge success in the UK. They've got a banjo player. They've got a tin whistle player. They've got a guy with a very unique voice. They're they're playing instruments that in 1987, when this or 86, 87, when this album came out, was not what anybody else was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else was doing this, and uh, I think there were bands that were trying. You could say Dexy's Midnight Runners or somebody like that were trying to do it, but they just nobody was doing it in with the same attitude, with the same ability that these guys have. I mean, these guys are good musicians as well. well that's the yeah, that's the other thing you can't uh, yeah. knock is yeah. how great all these and guys they are, are right on each other. I mean, they're, they're just it's it's like it's such a clean mix for so many instruments. Yeah, and, well, and they're uh, they're also acoustic instruments. A yeah. lot of them. I think there's only, yeah, electric bass is that's what, about that, the only thing electric. In that's it, an think. actually interesting point. I'd never thought about that. Yeah, they're yeah. all, it's all acoustic music. Which means yeah. they're probably all mic'd. Um, yeah. So, I, even that's, you don't, I don't hear stuff bleeding like you would expect. Yeah, that's Steve, Steve Lillywhite. White. Yeah, that's his ability. Mm-hmm. He can just, all his albums just sound so crisp. Well, this song is about an Irish nationalist killing yep. someone. Um the fact that you get these Brits who are kind of Irish and kind of British, they're kind of in the middle of this whole thing. And uh, I wonder if they uh, are more fired up than a regular Irish guy would be. Uh, I think the answer to that is yes. There's a song in this album that speaks to that a little bit later on about um, leaving your homeland and your ability to be, angry about things when you're someplace else versus in your home it's it's easier to be outraged you know i, I lived in dc for five years and it made you love texas it more made than me, ever it was before. a blast to be a texan up in dc but mm-hmm. here i can shake my fist at the sky and go no what's happening in austin and do that kind of stuff yeah but um yeah and i think uh, Shane McGowan, in particular, uh, I think his I think his childhood had a huge impact on his embracing of a particular type of Irish nationalism that was very political, mm-hmm. very steeped in uh, you know kind of uh, reverence it, for the motherland. Yeah, but he talks about how uh, he was too chicken to join the IRA. So what he he did what the IRA wanted to do in music. All right, guys, without any hesitation whatsoever, I'm going to move on to track two, Turkish Song of the Damned. 
Never has a song sounded so Middle Eastern and Celtic at the same time. Do you know where the title came from? No. This is a fantastic story. So The Damned had a famous or had a single and the B-side on it was called The Turkey Song. (laughs) So the Pogues are playing in Germany and some German fan comes up to him and asks him what he thinks of the Turkey Song by The Damned (laughs) and he mishears it as the Turkish Song of The Damned. And so he decided, well... Okay, I'm just going to write great. a song about that. And uh, and that's what he did uh, with a heavy debt to I- A Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coolidge. Uh, Coleridge. Um, I, come a, I come, old friend from hell tonight across the rotting sea. Well, the, the if you if you listen to it, if you say the words, the lyrics, they follow that same pattern that Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner does. It's that exact uh-huh. same pattern. Uh, rhythmic pat- pattern that that song has it's about a guy who uh <laughs> who takes all the loot on a sinking ship and goes off to an island and he's by himself and he's haunted by whatever guilt he has so as according to shane mcgowan this guy is just dancing around on the island huh. with this uh <laughs> with this turkish music endlessly playing in his head <laughs> And then it's told from the point of view of his best mate who comes up out of the water and explains to him what exactly he's going to do, which is to drag him down with everybody else. <laughs> and I love the line. He talks, what's the line about him? Uh, it's something about your uh, your jack won't help you or something like that. It's this great line about the none of the money is going to help because you're still, you're still on your way down. Was the guy still alive or was he dead and didn't know it? Uh... I don't know the answer to that, and I think Shane McGowan would probably say it's up to your interpretation. Um, <laughs> so they're coming to claim a debt from him. The, yeah. the debt from him, yeah. Because, well, I mean, the guy, the guy talking has the captain strapped, the dead captain strapped to his back. <laughs> In, instead of a, uh albatross strapped yeah. to your neck like yeah. uh, the Rhyme of the Ancient yeah, Mariner. Right. Um, well, I just I love the way that the song has all the 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 tin whistle that's going through when they you know the the verses are in that minor kind uh-huh. of, and that those the drums are on the floor you know, the drummers playing the floor tom and um, you know all that sort of uh, you know rolling drums and minor key when they're singing that and then all of a sudden it gets into this get into the chorus and it's this happy sounding kind of thing that that's something this band does a lot yeah well this this song. Uh, illustrates perfectly one of the things i like about them up the number one thing i like about them is the attitude and voice of the singer but the the next thing is when you're when a band is making a traditional type of music they often become predictable and a little mundane and this is absolutely not predictable and the rest of the album follows this it's yeah. Yeah. You cannot you can't say, Okay, I know it's coming next because yeah. you will get full. Well, I, I agree with JM though. There's always an undercurrent of Irishness seeping in through all the cracks. Yeah. So regardless of what you do, even when they go Tex Mex on you, there's yep. I it's Irish Tex Mex, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's it's so fun because yeah. you're caught off guard every time they do something. Yeah. 
And he said, Shane McGowan said that he was really trying to just get away from writing just traditional Irish sounding songs. He was trying to find um, different folk songs or he was listening to different music from different parts of the world. And I guess he thought this sounded like Turkey was you'd hear in, in the Middle you East. You know what I just thought about when you said he's thinking about other things? What's amazing is this is three albums, a single and an EP into their career. And there's not a single reggae song on any of it. And it also given the the fascination that everybody around him at that period had. That's what I mean. It's just yeah. it's odd that there's not a single reggae beat or song on 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 these three albums. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, everybody was doing that, yeah, and especially the people he was in contact with yeah. were, were touring with. At least the, he he was interested in other types of things. I guess. Yeah, I, well, he doesn't seem to be much of a follower. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. he walks. If there's anybody that walks the beat of his own drum, it's Shane McGowan. <laughs> Up next is the bottle of smoke. This uh, this is a fun, is a fun song. It starts off with just that accordion and a guy doing a, a rim shot on the snare, and well, then it goes into something just the fun. The, the the description of the horse winning is one of the greatest things ever. He came up on the left like a streak of light, like a drunken f word <laughs> on a Saturday night. Up came the bottle of smoke, and. <laughs> and then he talks about the winning, the guy winning. So it's about a guy betting on a horse and it coming in, coming in 20 to effing one, yeah. or five, 20 to effing five to one or whatever. So 25 <laughs> to one. And because of that, his gambling days are done. Uh, I mean, this song is so funny. He sounds um, so drunk when he's singing it. Too. Well, it's, it's yeah. appropriate, right? Yeah, it is. The characters that he inhabits when he sings are just... Uh, uh, Another valid point. This guy writes character studies. These songs are character studies. A lot of them are even story songs, but in a way that we've yeah. not really talked about before. They're 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 compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are interesting. Uh, they're. I, I don't know how this guy writes something a, a character that has the depth that these characters do yeah. in a four minute song. Yeah, he makes it seem effortless. The only other person I can think of who writes like that is. Randy Newman. The, the characters are not no, I, are not I, wonderful people. I won't disagree with you that Randy Newman also is able to uh, to write a very deep character in a very short. Like he, he, you, you hear a song and you understand what that person's. Yeah, it's not like Springsteen who needs eight minutes to do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's no knock on Bruce. Yeah. Love Bruce, but, but yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this song is just a blast. Yeah, uh, you know, it's good to have a little fun before you want to delve into what's coming up <laughs> all right well what about this uh, fairy tale of new york This is about as good a song as there's written. I so, think. so 
occasionally you'll get a song that is very well known that is people talk about in hushed tones. People can't just throw, you know, one accolade upon another on it and it deserves everything it's gotten. <laughs> and this is one of those songs. Yeah, it really is. This it's is one of those songs that deserves every single bit of praise it's ever received. Well, and it's gotten a little bit of bad press too, which we can talk about as we yeah. go on. I mean, this is the thing. So there's a lot of interpretations about this. It might be interesting if we want to talk about each of ours. I don't know if anybody cares about that or not, <laughs> but I, I want to hear yours, Jam. Well, I mean, it's, it's about two people that come over to the, to the United States trying to he promises her what the world is that it, that the United States is so much better and that they're going to make it and it's it's impossible not to and that she's going to be a Broadway star and there's just he's just talking up how beautiful everything's going to be in New York and then he just comes over and just you know becomes a drunken lout and uh, doesn't really do anything different than he's been doing over in Ireland. So I think this is starts off with a guy who is um, is older in the drunk tank, and he's in the drunk tank with another gentleman who sings a song that reminds him of this this woman that he's in love with. Now I don't know if they had if they had a fight and he's in the drunk tank because they had a fight and he's uh, thinking about her, but the majority of the song to me is a flashback to when they're younger. Um, and it's and 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 it starts off with this promise that ends up devolving into the reality of him being a drunk and her being, I guess, on heroin. I think it is. I think she's. A, I think he says. A, what does he say? A, a she was a, uh, a morally casual female <laughs> on junk. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing about the song. First of all, we need to say a couple of things. One is this is the song that they wrote in response to Elvis Costello's bet. So this is a Christmas song they wrote. This is a Christmas song. It's considered, as Jam said, uh, one of the greatest Christmas songs ever written. It's routinely uh, in the top Christmas songs in the UK. I think this song has charted 14 Yeah, some unbelievable number 14 of years. It reached number two in the UK and number one mm -hmm. in Ireland, which Shane McGowan said he didn't care about the UK. He was just glad it hit number one in Ireland. But um, it is a song of... of of some permanence, yeah. but yeah. So the thing, the other thing that's remarkable about it is that it ends on, it ends on a note that depending on your point of view is either positive or you just don't know. I think, I personally okay. think it ends on a note of redemption. Um, that's that, that is, I see two pitiful, hopeless people together that, for some reason, the New York <laughs> New York uh, Police Department's choir is is singing, and uh, it's Christmas. And the thing about Christmas is, it's if if you're one of the ones that need redeeming, that's what Christmas is. Well, for. yeah, I, I mean the way the song ends with after they insult each other, and you think it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket. Um, she accuses him of stealing her dreams, and then yeah. he responds in this just absolutely amazing way yeah. at the end by saying that... Um, I kept them with me, babe. I, yeah, he says, I kept them with me. I can't make it alone. I built my dreams around you, which I'm just saying that's giving me goosebumps. It's such an amazing <laughs> yeah, line. amazing line. Um, 
Yeah, because she says, you took my dreams from me when I first found you. And he says, yeah, he says, I, I no, I didn't. I mean, I might have, but I needed them in order to survive. Yeah. And and uh, it's a remarkable thing. It's, it's, I, think, I think it's like what you're talking about, where he's, maybe this is what he wishes he could tell her now that he can't tell her. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, this song went through hell to be made it took him two years to write it um uh, it's it's four minutes it's just it's like an opera in four minutes well there's there's two different demos with the uh with corda raiden god again probably the seventh different time i've said her name uh singing the female part and it just doesn't quite get it well And, and so they have this this deal where, of course, Kirsty McCall is married to Steve Lillywhite. Um, the funny thing about the, oh, it's the first time I said that tonight. The funny thing about <laughs> that is um, that when 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 Court left and they didn't know what to do because they didn't have a female singer anymore, um, the idea was that uh, that they were just looking for anybody. I mean, they actually thought about <laughs> they thought about Chrissy Hine at one point. They thought about Susie Quattro at one point. And Steve Lillywhite's the one who brought up uh, Kirstie McCall, and nobody was thinking about it. She was pretty much out of the music business yeah. at this point. And he was, she was his wife, and he takes her home. Once they agree to do it, he takes her home and spends an entire day trying to get her vocals exactly right. Like He works with her, like the, the nuances and everything. And what happens when he brings that back and plays it to the band is not only do they go, holy cow, but Shane McGowan re-records his vocals because of her performance. Because wow. he said wow. she owned the song. I couldn't. I could not do. I couldn't leave what I did on the table. Wow. I had to redo it. Kirsty McCall adds um, heft so to this to this character in a way yeah. that wasn't there before. Well, they're both so believable. Yeah. Yeah, and she she was, and unfortunately, she's no longer with us. She was, uh, but she made some great albums after after this. Well, this jump started her career yeah, again. She yeah. got back in the music industry after this. We but it it really adds when the, the video for this is is really it's shot in black and white, and she's in it, and she's it's 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 she's majestic in it. But you know, she unfortunately she died, and it just a. Horrible, accident. horrible boating yeah. accident. Trying to save her she was, children. She was trying to save her children, yeah. and uh, turned out she was killed by what some uh, uh, a Mexican. I don't know if he's a billionaire or not. At least a millionaire owner of some big Mexican grocery store chain. Uh, not to get too deep into the story, but evidently one of his patsies took the fall for it. Yeah, ended up paying. I think didn't go to jail. I think he ended up paying like a five hundred dollar fine, and then ended up paying a, like twelve hundred dollars to the family, and that was it. Yeah. The video was, like I said, I think how everybody knew the song initially. Uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a pretty great video. Yeah. Um, especially the beginning of it with Shane McGowan in the drunk tank, which he even said, I've spent a few nights in the drunk tank. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, the guy was born on Christmas Day in 1957. That's right. That's right. So maybe he was, he was uh, destined to make this song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what kept it out of the number one spot in the UK? Not in Ireland, because it hit number one in the UK. You, it, it hit number one in Ireland. I mean, Ireland, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, but it was number two in the UK. You know what kept it out of number one? Yeah. The Pet Shop Boys version of Always On My Mind. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. But 
to be fair, I don't think always that version of Always On The Line has made a repeat performance year after year after year. So uh, I think uh, I think we need to talk about the controversy a little bit because it's an important part of the story, right? Yeah. So um, this song uses some language that is not considered PC anymore. Yeah. Uh, in particular, uh, a derogatory term for homosexuals. Uh, that's the biggest. Oddly enough, people now have a t- problem with the word slut, but they have a problem with that other word. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting what Shane. Patriarchy. I think it's interesting what Shane McGowan has to say about that. He said that um, characters which appear in songs or stories are not always angels. I, I I am irritated by people that don't understand the difference between making a statement and writing for a character. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and he said, uh, you know, he said he tried to make these guys this these characters as realistic as possible. That this is this is as accurate as he could be. That this this woman is angry. She's throwing out. She's not a good person in the sense in that moment, and she's throwing out words that are hurtful, and they're trying to be hurtful. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, because this song has been this song has been uh, edited. In fact, if you go on to Amazon and listen to this album, you're not going to hear the original version. You cannot find the original version of this song on Amazon anywhere. Um, it says, I think she says, uh, you're a Instead of using the word, she says haggard, I think. I think that's, word. yeah. And, um, but to, to wrap up, what Shane McGowan has said is it's not worth fighting about. Mm-hmm. You know, if people, if people don't want to listen to the original version, I did what I could. I'm not going to argue with them. I think the original version stands, but whatever. Um, and to be fair, you know, as much of a, of a stink is made about that, I don't know if the song loses that much impact by changing one word in it. Um, it still is a pretty remarkable song. Yeah. Well, there's no way you could you could defang this song with one simple change. Yeah. This is a great song. I guess it's a centerpiece for the album. Well, it's a centerpiece for this band, and I think it, it it's it's like everything else when a band gets a huge amount of success from something. Shane McGowan has said repeatedly that what happened was the rest of the band saw this. And so they started writing their own songs, and the band lost its center and its focus and became something other than what it did. Of course, he's not blaming the amount of drinking he was doing at the time and having any impact on that. But <laughs> It's uh, other people trying to do what he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the next song? Metropolis. Metropolis. <laughs> This is a this is an okay song. It shows all these people can play. What is this song necessary on this album? I you love take, it. I really? absolutely. You know. You know the reason why I love it. Why? Because, because the Peter Gunn theme is in it. No. <laughs> uh, because he's talking. There's. They're talking about New York, and, and this is the. A lot of these songs are about people coming over to the United States or leaving their homeland and going to the cities and. I love how it starts off with all that like it's clamoring sound at the first. It sounds like traffic. It sounds like the city, and then all of a sudden it goes into that little that jig with the penny whistle throughout that thing. I, and I just love how that's kind of like you got your your thriving city that's you know clang you know clamorous, and then here you are you're 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 
you're thinking about the home country. You're thinking and and you're dancing a jig. I, I just love I, how that happens. Okay, I'm glad you like the song. Personally, I think a Pogue song without Shane McGowan singing on it is doesn't need to be on an album. Yeah, but the horns are amazing. The I, piano. I'm part. not saying these guys can't play. Yeah, but let's put let's put a song with Shane McGowan's lyrics on it and replace this with that. That's the way I feel. Oh, okay. I I bet nobody fast forwards to that. <laughs> To this song, nobody no. goes. Oh, I want to hear Metropolis. I need to. Everybody goes. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, and I might like an album with all of that for a different yeah. thing. But when you go from these others into mm-hmm. that, it you're you kind of restless by the time you get well, there. Well, okay. So another way that I thought about it is when you go to New York, there's all sorts of you know like different neighborhoods but so they they're the guy's toiling through life in the big city he's probably working in a factory job and then he comes back into his neighborhood he sees his people the people that he knows and he's dancing a jig in his little irish neighborhood it sure sounds like i mean i you're reading a whole lot in this song that i don't get well the whole album with the more that i listen to this album over the week that's just kind of the the disenfranchised people come. Oh, I, I get and, that. I just don't know how you get that from a song that has no lyrics. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like uh, Gershwin. Um, I guess it's like that that song in the uh, Days of Future Past. It's supposed to be like a busy street scene yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I, I I don't know. Uh, unlike uh, Cold Hearted Orb that rules the night mm-hmm. or whatever, and I'm not going to knock all their lyrics. I want to hear Shane McGowan mm-hmm. sing, and I want to hear his lyrics. Yeah. He's not. He's not just the the Pogues aren't just him, but the Pogues aren't the Pogues without him. I I think this is a song where you're supposed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is a song. Yeah, this is the DJ playing the album goes goes to take a leak or something. This is the intermission. All right, thousands are sailing. So this is a song written by Phil Chevron, not Shane McGowan, mm-hmm. that I honestly think, I haven't seen this anywhere, I honestly think Shane McGowan's like, I don't mind singing this song, because it seems to fit perfectly with it what does. he would want. This is a great song. Lyrically, this is an impressive song. I mean, if someone had told me Shane McGowan wrote it, it's not quite as poetic as his lyrics, but I wouldn't be surprised by that, you know? Yeah, the island, it is silent now, but the ghosts still haunt the waves. And the torch lights up a famished man who fortune could not save. Eh, I'd be happy if I'd wrote, written it. it. I, I, you know, this this song has very strict uh, meter and rhyme. Uh, and most of the album does, which makes it appealing to me. But I think this is even more so than others. Yeah. Well, his, his vocals on it are great. Yeah, and it's and it's the the cool thing about this song was so Phil Chevron wrote it or started writing it when the Pogues were in New York. It was the first time he'd been there, and he was blown away by it. I think he even says he walked down Broadway with one of the guys in the band and was just excited about this new experience. And so he started thinking about what it was like and i didn't realize this but evidently when this album came out in 1986 it was um, 88 i want to say 88 when they were recording it maybe in 86 it was the largest influx of irish immigrants in the states since 
the famine. Hmm. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with, with um, what was going on with the IRA and everything. Um, so I, he, he wanted to write the song that sort of juxt, juxtaposed that ver, the earlier version, the 1847 version of immigrant huh. Irish immigrants coming and in the new, and the new version of it. And I think he does a good job oh, with yeah. that. Um, the, my favorite line in it is where he's talking it. And this doesn't just speak to Irish or immigration. I think it speaks to any immigrant. This line where he says, where everywhere we go, we celebrate the land that makes us refugees. So it's this idea. Mm-hmm. Again, I talked about this a little earlier. You that, go- that, that line struck me. Yeah. Too, Cause people have this, uh, the dear romance for their country. The one that they let, they and fled. they have to go. They fled because the country, because of what was going on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they still it's have like this. like those Californians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what's interesting about that line was Shane McGowan hated singing it. Really? And the reason why, according to uh, uh, the guy who wrote the song, Chevron, was that... Uh, it didn't. He didn't think it fit with Shane McGowan's understanding of Irish nationalism, like this idea that you know you, you don't you don't flee and then long for your homeland. You stay and you fight, type of thing. Oh, I, I can um, see that. I, that may be my favorite line on the oh, album me, because me, it's, it's so expressive. Absolutely, of it's. Uh, I mean, here in Texas, uh, we see every other country's flag flying high. But they have to come here because they were forced out of the country where they where they were. Yeah, and I don't blame them a bit for leaving, but um, it's a strange response. Well, it's also that kind of fundamental American character, right? So, especially it's what in some makes um, Cinco de Mayo a huge holiday yeah. in the United States, but not in Mexico, where Ex- exactly where uh, Maximilian really got beat. Yes, it, you're celebrating. Your culture exactly, and you celebrate your culture more when you're in the minority than when you're absolutely. Like, uh, yeah. But yeah, I, that line to me really struck me very, just a really great line. And and of course, St. Patrick's Day is huge in huge. this country, yeah. and it's because people are celebrating being Irish, yeah, not yeah. because they are excited that there's not snakes in their home country anymore. <laughs> All right, another reason we're experts on this album. <laughs> a fiesta. Come on, you rambling boys, a pleasure. A ladies of easy leisure. We must say at your son till we say I'm a real once again. Uh, you know, it's not about Mexico. Even though it's, it's about Spain, it's about Spain. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, Shane McGowan was really into Spanish poets. Well, this, this was time. this was also written when they were filming that movie. Is that right? The, the spaghetti western. The spaghetti western in Spain. I think they might have even been in uh, um, Almeria. Almeria. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of Spanish words in there. There's he dropped mm-hmm. some uh, poets. Some mm-hmm. Spanish poets in there, um, and it is just a fun song. It sounds like a Mexican fiesta, like fiesta music, uh, but <laughs> it sounds to me like Mexican fiesta music meets 1940s Spike Jones. <laughs> yeah. There's something to that. There uh, is something to that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot, of, especially the ending. I I don't know what the uh, metronome was set on this song, <laughs> but it is 
flying by. You, you know who hated this song? Elvis Costello? Shane McGowan. Really? Hated this song. Why? He's got he he put so much life into well, it. Well, he puts life into everything. Yeah. He just hated it. Uh, of course, I think he's one of those guys who's kind of hindsight a lot of things, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, he did not like he did not like this song. Um <laughs> Uh, this, this song was the last song while he was in the band to break the top 30 in the UK. Uh-huh. It was a single. It's also was the song they often closed their shows with. And as, uh, something that was, um, repeated throughout the career of the band, uh, spider Stacy would add percussion by smacking a beer tray up against the skull repeatedly during this song. <laughs> so. So, uh, so if you went to a poke show and expected to see Spider Spider Stacy smack a beer tray against his head, this yeah. was the one song he was definitely going to do it on. I mean, it's and it has of, a whistle. Yeah, there's all sorts of whistles just floating around all over the place on this, and then it 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 slows down, and it sounds like they're drunk, and then it goes it's back. A, up again. I don't. How do you write this song if you haven't uh, heard Cajunta or uh, yeah? Well, uh, there, there's a lot of Spanish influence uh-huh. in some of the later Pogues albums. Yeah, and this and, doesn't sound Spanish to me. No, at no, all. no. I know, but I think I think what what except for the words, Shane yeah. McGowan has said that he just um, he, and this may have been what happened here. At, Jay, I mentioned it earlier. He was getting a little. He's just getting tired of writing Irish music, so yeah. he was he felt compelled to write other stuff. And his go-to was to rely on the kind of Spanish inflection stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he did. He did not like this song, um, or at least he's on record later on saying he didn't like this song. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with him. I mean, it's a, it's a fun song, but well, it's it's different. But I, I think I, it I can see on the somebody album. saying it's a bit of a novelty. Song. It sounds sure. very novelty for a band that seems above that i don't know i think they just had the the horn section with them and they decided what the hell we'll just go ahead maybe i mean look i'm not again i don't hate anything on this album i just like this less than other stuff i i want this song to be over with so i can get to the next song uh we have a uh, medley now a medley of traditional irish tunes yep the recruiting sergeant the rocky road to dublin and Galway races. We're passengers assembled with their tickets at the station. We always begin to dazzle and lay off to see the races. When we went far to far to the island line. There are passengers from Limerick and passengers from Nina. The boys are Connemara and the Clare and Murray Glenns. What starts off with the recruiting sergeant, yeah. um, which uh, was a song written in 1915. <laughs> obviously, by this guy named Seamus O'Farrell. And it was about, I mean, as I'm not, I'm speaking the obvious here. It's essentially about, you know, kind of lampooning the bill of goods that the recruiting sergeant is selling to the recruit compared to the realities of what the recruit faces when he goes off to war. <laughs> um, you know, here is what's interesting about that song, the recruiting sergeant. At the time that song was written, in 1915, the British government branded it as treason to sing that song. And really? anybody who sang it could spend up to six months in jail. Really? Yep. Because wow. they were trying to fight the Huns. Was it Galway Town? Well, the Rocky Road to Dublin is just the instrumental break in yeah. between the two. Yeah. And that's also a traditional 19th century Irish song. 
And then it's got the uh, the Galway races, and that's where uh, Shane McGowan kind of takes over and uh, starts doing the the Didle Idle Day. Well, it's a this was a song that was made famous by the Dubliners in the sixties. Okay. Which is a band that this that the Pogues because they re, they released a couple of singles with the Dubliners. I mean, this was a band. The Dubliners was a band that they held in high high regard. So hmm. uh, it makes sense that they would they would do a song of theirs. But yeah, he's uh, he gets into the Irish uh, diddle diddle or whatever. <laughs> what what does it say in the lyrics? I don't know. It sounds I mean, like knick knack paddy whack. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say about this song. It's three traditional Irish songs. It's a medley put together. Yeah. It fits together. Fits it does together. well. It does yeah. great. And he has a great voice for it. Yep. Yeah. And he has a great band backing him up. Yeah. Yep. Well, we got the Streets of Sorrow next. And Birmingham Six. And Birmingham Six. spent a lot of time on uh, Streets of Sorrow. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, so, this was the one. Who wrote? Is this the Ter- one? That, Terry Woods. The yeah, mandolin, Terry Woods wrote this one. And he wrote, wrote that part of the and song. And he sings the first part of he it. He does sing the first part of it. It was significantly longer when right. he wrote it. And it's about um, it's about Michael, Michael Collins. Collins. yeah. Right. It's basically a song about the Troubles, you know. So the Troubles were uh, this conflict in Northern Ireland that started in the late 60s and ended up going for several decades in which uh, the Protestants in Northern Ireland and the Catholics in Northern Ireland were fighting each other to determine the destiny of that part of the country. The Catholics wanted it to be part of the Irish Republic and the Protestants mainly wanted it to stay part of the UK. The first terrorism I ever heard about was as a result uh, of that, the explosions and yeah, they were blowing up bars in Ireland. It was uh, really it was weekly news. Uh, well, yeah. And this song is about explosions actually in England. Yeah. Right. Um, and about these guys who history has shown were wrongly accused yeah. and wrongly imprisoned by the Brits yeah. for being involved in the bombings in Birmingham and in um, Guildford. Guildford. So there was the Birmingham Six and the Guildford Four. The album, the, the name of the song is uh, Birmingham. Has the uh, phrase Birmingham Six in it, and the song mentions Birmingham Six and the Guilford Four, along with Michael Collins. Right. Um, so it's and, a very, very, um, for lack of a better term, it's a very pro uh, Republican Irish Catholic song, and the band got some heat from yeah, this. Yeah, I, I think it was banned. For the a... song was banned nationally. They performed it live on a television show um, and called Friday Night Live in April of 88, and right when they started to get to the meat of the song, people watching at home ended up watching a commercial because they went to commercial break. Wow. Um, and then there's a documentary, a little short clip of a documentary that I'm going to put on the website that talks about what happened when the band wrote this song, you couldn't even play the song on a newscast because it had been banned by the government. You could say the words. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Um, Yeah. For a country with the first amendment, it's hard (laughs) to understand. Yeah. 
It is. And uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of times we take that for granted. The fact that there are places that we consider fairly uh, significantly more liberally minded than us that, yeah. uh, not with speech aren't yeah. when it comes to speech. Exactly. I'll I tell you what's remarkable. I guess it was the Oslo Accord that ended all of this. Right. And yeah. to, to, uh, go from seeing something every week to seeing nothing yeah. and not, and, and I assume people in their twenties don't even know about this anymore. So, yeah, it's a happy thing that 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 the killing stopped. Yeah. Um, another thing that happened was soon after this album was released, the Birmingham Six were freed, as were the and a few years later the Guilford Four were as well. So, right. And, and a bit of foreshadowing from my recommendation this week. Uh, there's a scene in this documentary about Shane McGowan where he and Jerry Adams are sitting in a room together talking about this. Lullaby of London. Just a around the house at night. Never keep you from your sleep. Many hours sleep tight down in hell tonight or wherever they This, besides Lull of, uh, Fairy Tale of New York, I think this is my uh, this is my second favorite song on the album. Uh, it's well, it's a little relief from where we just were. Well, yeah, but it's it's so pretty. But it's 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 about a guy talking to his son, uh, basically saying his you know he's drunk and he's talking to yeah. his son. He's and trying he's, to tell him everything's okay. It's um, I mean, it's knowing that it's may not be. Yeah. Well, Shane McGowan says that's exactly what his dad used to do. He used to stumble home drunk, go into wow. his room, and he said, and sing me lullabies. Well, no, he didn't sing me lullabies, but he would tell me everything was going to be okay. Here's an interesting thing. You know where he started writing the song? Andy Lucia. Whoa. Whoa. Really? <laughs> so that should have been part of your quiz as well. Well, I would have put that <laughs> yeah. in there if I knew that. Wow. Yeah, when they were in Andy Lucia filming the movie, uh, this uh, this was uh, where Shane McGowan picked up an acoustic guitar and started wow. messing uh, around. For ladies and gentlemen who have not heard, uh, that's uh, the John Kill episode. Yeah. 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 That ties it to that. Another connection. Well, yep. it reminds me of... Uh, Angela's ashes when is yeah. when their dad would come home from the pub drunk and wake up boys up and make them promise to die for Ireland. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's uh, the Brits have a little different um, relationship with alcohol than Americans do, and uh, it's not quite as seen as um, taboo. Or, uh, yeah, no, taboo is a great word, or yeah. just seen as. Well, this, we're not talking about Brits though in this song, are we? Are well, we talking, no, we're talking about, about the Irish, but. But my, in general, that that group of people have a healthier, I think, understanding. Well, maybe I depends well, on your yeah. point of view. But the idea of a drunken father waking up a kid and and or walking in on a kid and 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 helping him feel better about the world is a is is a sentimental thing. Whereas here it'd be like, oh, this, yeah. we need to do something about this. Daddy's drinking too much. Yeah, when you get yeah. child protective, protective services. services. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, sit down by the fire. Yes. 
It's it's a very very fast paced song. I, I'm not I'm not sure I can uh, talk as fast as he's singing. Well, it's a catalog <laughs> of all the ghosties and ghoulies that roam around the Irish countryside that could come in and kill you during the night. Is essentially what it is. Um, They're just passing through on their way to hell. My favorite part of the song is after he's. He's basically explained about all these things that could get you and occasionally what you can do to keep from certain death, like, you know, pretend that you're dead or they'll bite off your head. (laughs) (laughs) The song ends with, so lie near the wall and cover your head. Good night and God bless. Now F off to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Right after the other song. Yeah, yeah, right after the lullaby song. It's It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. And it's got the boat at Boderan. Boderan is like a big um, drum that you play with a uh, um, the stick, and, and you put it in the middle, and it it just makes a kind of a thundering sound. It's a very traditional Irish instrument. What's it called? A Boderan. A Boderan. It's a great song, but you're right. It's it is like you know, it's like a machine gun firing at you. Yeah, the broad majestic Shannon. And dry your tears, babe Take my hand Forget your friends, babe There's no pain There's no more sorrow They are gone Gone in the years, babe I love the lyrics on this one. Um, it's a... The majestic Shannon is the longest river in Ireland. Is that right? It's or it's the biggest river in Maybe. Ireland. There's a lot of songs about the Shannon in uh, in Ireland, and well, this one, I guess you have to have at some point you have to write a song about the majestic Shannon. I, I think what's really impressive about this song was that uh, this goes to show you how much traditionalist this is. This is what's different between what happened with Dylan and the folk traditionalists and Shane McGowan and the Irish folk traditionalists, Liam Clancy and Tommy Makem, who were in the Clancy brothers asked him to write a song for them. And this is the song that came out. And the Clancy brothers were a pretty big Irish folk group in the sixties, probably pretty bigger, maybe in the U S and they were in the UK, but they were pretty big. But yeah, he wrote, he wrote this song and he wrote it about Tipperary, which is where he grew up as a kid. I'd say his mother was from Tipperary, I yeah. think. Yeah. She was a, a model or something, I think. Yeah, I think she had some sort of... So he takes after his father. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's just about... What he says it's about is about these guys who were friends as kids meeting up later in life in London and just reminiscing about the good old days and how they're not... They're, how all that yeah, stuff's yeah. gone. Kind of like what we do in Austin on a regular basis, right? <laughs> um but I, th- I think it's really impressive that these two guys said, hey, Mr. McGowan, yeah. I'm sure they didn't call him that, but <laughs> write, write me something. Because they recognized a kindred spirit. It's the same thing when the Dubliners played with them. There wasn't any, I mean, the, there wasn't any thought to this guy being an upstart or anything. They, were, they just saw him as a contemporary, which is pretty a pretty impressive thing. Yeah, and I love that the... the- the way that the penny whistle echoes the or, or play as uh, is playing the same thing that Shane McGowan singing, singing on the core. Yeah. Oh, I love that! And then I just love the the instruments are on this. I just this is my favorite instrumentation on the on the album. I, it, it's just well, it's, fascinating. It's really uh, sentimental yeah. and uh, 
it's the it's not a very proggy song. It's the the punk part of the Celtic punk is not very apparent in that no. song. No, this is this is much more of the folk in the folk idiom. Well, every I mean, I guess you could say everything's in the folk idiom, but this it one is. is much more in a folk style in a, in a traditional tr- Irish. It's a folk beautiful style. song. Yeah. He, he is a talented writer. Sure is. Yeah, without a question. <laughs> okay, worms. The worms crawl in and the worms crawl out. The ones that go in are lean and thin. The ones that come out are fat and stout. Your eyes fall in and your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys know the history of this song? Well, it's been, I mean, it's a song that I used to sing. The Hearst uh, song. Is yeah, what it's also known as. Well, I, it's just, yeah, I used to sing it on the uh, playground at school. Yeah, yeah, it's like been around. It's way been, to prepare children for death. It's I guess. been around since World War One, maybe even earlier than that. And it's just, yeah, it's been. I, I'm not sure I understand the uh, the uh, placement. Well, uh, no, I kind of get that. I guess I kind of get that. What I don't understand is the. Um, his the vocals on this sound like something straight out of the Grinch who stole Christmas. Yeah, so, it really does. Uh, and I'm talking about the 1960s uh, Warner Brothers Charles um, uh, Chuck, 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 Chuck Jones version of that, yeah. not the disgusting remakes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I get the placement of the song. It doesn't need to be on this album. No. I'd rather they had replaced it with something. A song, actually. I think they could have just ended with uh, Broad, Broad Majestic, Majestic Shannon. Shannon. I, yeah. I think that would have been a wonderful place to end. Now, this yeah. is, I'm guessing, Doug, this is uh, your reaction. This is similar to Her Majesty. It it did remind me of that. And, Except for uh, the fact too. that Her Majesty has got McCartney singing on it, and this has some guy trying to sound like, they're great. That Her Majesty is fine. I just don't like it where it is. I got it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this is a lark. Yeah. You know, you maybe like, if, maybe yeah. if you put it somewhere less important. Well, they used to play it live. Really? They would. Yeah. They would come out and play it live to the guys as an encore or like something. A, another it almost time, sounds like two a, times to go to the restroom. I guess so. Yeah. It almost sounds like something Tom Waits would do during, uh, during like the black writer period of his, his writing. Um, it's, it's just it, the, the sounds that are behind it. It's real sparse that the, there's the miking on the instruments are they're They're not right on the instruments. They're actually, it, it's like the old school way that they used to record instruments. Uh, so. For the record, it's Thurl Ravenscroft was the guy ah. who, who played Tony the tiger and sang the, you're a mean one, Mr. Yeah. Grinch. Um, who that reminded me of. I just wanted to make sure that for the record, we got that name correct. All right. It's yeah, it's, I don't know. It's I, I, again, I get the placement of it. It doesn't need to be on there. The album isn't, wouldn't lose anything. No. if The song wasn't on it. I agree. Uh, it doesn't necessarily gain anything with this on it either. It doesn't piss um, me off, but no, nothing when on I, this. When I hear a song like that, I think these guys didn't know how great, of an album they just made. Yeah. Which or is this, almost if they if they knew if they knew how good it was, they wouldn't have left that on. You know what I think? I don't think they cared. Yeah. Well, um assuming these guys care, I think it's gonna be one hundred percent a mistake every single time. I agree with you. Because but their name is Kiss My Yeah. Arse. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jim. Uh 
not only did you choose a very wonderful album that all three of us love, <laughs> but you have probably, I don't know, 16 hours of editing ahead of you. <laughs> and for that, I want to apologize. That's oh, all right. Okay, so by the fall of 89, uh, the band's future looked a little bit bleak because Shane McGowan was drinking heavily. Uh, in fact, in an interview in 89, he said, had he not been dead straight sober or he had not been dead straight sober since he was 14. Uh, (laughs) and if you see interviews with him, you kind of get that. Yeah. Um, he ended up pulling out of several shows. They were supposed to tour with Dylan, uh, in the States, but he collapsed in Heathrow's Heathrow airport and he missed the Dylan tour. The band played on without him. Um, the next two albums, Peace and Love in, in 89 and Hell's Ditch, which was in 90, 91, uh, featured songs written by almost every member of the band. And because of that, they didn't quite have the cohesive feel that their first three albums yeah. had. And, and they didn't, people didn't like them as much. They yeah. Terry Woods well. t- started taking over more. Yeah. And, um, there's fine. I mean, I, I love Hell's Ditch. And I do too. Yeah. I do. It's Sunny album. Side of the Street's a yeah. great song. Summer um, in Siam. Summer in Siam's a great song. Yeah. No, I, I like that album a lot. Uh, but Shane McGowan's drinking just continued to get worse. And finally, the band had had enough and they ended up firing the guy who founded the band, the soul of the band they kicked out of the band. Yeah. yeah. And they replaced him with Joe Strummer from Just, like, yeah, just like Apples. <laughs> Apple. Yeah. He uh, and Joe Strummer produced uh, Hell's Ditch. He did. He did. And so, um, and there and there's obviously a connection there too, as we've talked about. But so Joe Strummer toured with him for about a year, um, and then he left, and then Spider Stacy took over lead vocals. Uh, the band ended up calling it a day in '96. Um, by that time, the only original members of the band were uh, from the '80s were Daryl Hunt and drummer Andrew Rankin. Um, they ended up getting back together in 2000 with Shane McGowan. They played a couple of live dates. And then in 2004, they toured with the original lady 80s lineup, but with uh, um, Cordo Raiden uh, joining them. Okay. And haven't really done much since then. Um, well, supposedly they broke up again because they just, uh, Shane McGowan said, we figured out, you know, we, we started to hate each other all over again. And, um, Things just uh, I, I think he's he has said multiple times that when when it's not fun to make music, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Which is, and they weren't making any new any right. Which is a, yeah, nothing I'm, new. I'm just gonna say it's a pretty good outlook because there's a lot of bands that continue on. I mean, hell, the Ramones yeah. toured and recorded, and Johnny and Joey hated each other's guts for a decade and a half, yeah. and they still continue to play together. Yeah. I just can't imagine that was I can't great. Imagine that. Yeah. But well, we stick together. <laughs> but we like each other so yeah. far. Oh, I mean, yeah, that uh, Although JM probably multiple times tonight went, "Oh my god." <laughs> guys, I tell you what, guys, that was a great album. JM, thank you for uh bringing that one to to our attention. Uh this will this album will fit nicely between Big Country and our next album. Tony, yeah, Doug. We got a lot of young people out there, and their question is, "How much did you like this album? And can we trust you? Can we can we assume that this is a uh, a rational rating, or is it something from the heart?" So, can you divide those two up and give us a rating? Yeah, I, I think uh, from a critic standpoint, this album was uh, was um, 
I think most critics feel like this album was the Pogues firing on all cylinders um, and and them at their best. So from a critic's point of view, I can I can see that, and I'm going to say it's a four or five. Um, it is not to me my favorite Pogues album. That doesn't mean I, in comparison, I don't want to take any points away from it based on that. My favorite album is still Rum Sodomy and the Lash, and to me, that's the most Pogues-y album out there. Um, I'm going to give us a four. And, and the reason why is because there's a couple of songs on it that I just don't think live up to uh, how great this album could have been. Uh, Metropolis being one of them, Worms being another. I'm not the biggest fan of C- uh, Fiesta. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, we said this before. I'm, I'm sitting here making excuses why I'm saying a four. Four out of five is still a great thing. I listen to this album all the time. Um, I've got it in my rotation. I, when I listen to the Pogues, I kind of listen to the Pogues. So I've yeah. got all the stuff going at the same time. Um, so it's, it's part of that rotation. I do find myself skipping certain songs on this album more than I skip songs on anything else they've done. Um, at least their first three albums or so. Um, so yeah, four for me, four or five critic. Thank you. And, uh, this is JM's album. So I'll go next. As, as a critic, I would give this a four or five. Uh, there, there are some, I, I agree with Tony, there are some things that could have been left on the floor, very much like this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a, uh, when I take my, uh, my heart out of the cold, warm it up, I would give it a four eight. It's, it's a very, very sentimental and adorable album. Uh, it's easy to adore. Uh, this guy's voice and his songwriting are magnificent. So, thanks again, JM, for for putting this one on the table. JM, how do you re- how do you rate this album? Okay, so I'm going to go as a cold-hearted critic first. Um, I'm going to give it a. Also, what you guys gave it a four or five. Um, I can't really point to anything that brings it down. Um, I uh, I think it, it holds together really well. Um, I like the sequencing of the songs. I uh, as a critic, I think I think it flows very nicely. Uh, that's going to lead into my uh, my personal rating, which is a five. This is one of my favorite albums ever made. I think it is Steve Lillywhite's best production ever. Uh, and I'm a huge Steve Lillywhite fan, so that's really saying something. Um, I think that it does, it's, it sounds so crisp. Um, I, I love the song. I, lo- I loved rediscovering these songs to, uh, the, over the past couple of weeks really delving into the lyrics and just finding out, you know, I've always kind of like y'all said, I've always kind of just wanted this song, this album always kind of made me just want to get up and dance. But now, you know, actually looking at the lyrics and reading them and just finding out how just, uh, you know, some of them are heartbreaking. Some of them are ebullient. I mean, just, just the whole, of the, every, every song is different. Um, and I'm, I'm just, it's a fascinating album to me. So it's one that I listen to, frequently and this is i really enjoyed listening to it with a uh with a more discerning ear and it held up quite well this is the first time someone's used the term ebullient to talk about an album (laughs) on this podcast 
probably any podcast yeah. be brilliant. <laughs> I, I guess a lot of y'all know that uh, uh, Tony's main job is to help us stay hip and cool with the generation. What letter are we on right now? X, Y, Z, something like that. Tony, what do you have for the kids tonight? Well, um, this always feels like a cop-out for some reason when we pick a, a, a movie or a, a documentary. Um, but tonight it doesn't. I don't think the three of us have the ability to do justice on how compelling a character Shane McGowan is. He is... I just I don't I don't know what to say about the guy. When Doug, when you earlier on said the hero of this album, I mean the guy is just as captivating as you can be. There is a documentary called Crock of Gold: A Few Rounds with Shane McGowan that is equally compelling to watch. It's um, it's a bit sad because it was done recently, so he's older in it, and there's several interviews where he is sitting listening to his younger self talk about things um so you can see sort of the um the harm he has done to himself through his abuse um but he also is sharp as a as a tack and and has conversations uh that are very surprising very poignant um with various people um I, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're if if you're at all interested in what makes this guy tick, I'd watch that. If you're a fan of the Pogues, you've probably already seen it. If you're not, if you're a casual fan, you're you're going to be transfixed watching this film. It's absolutely mesmerizing because he is. The name of this film again: Crock of Gold, A Few Rounds with Shane McGowan. Very good. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Tony. So that does it for our look at the Pogues, If I Should Fall from the Grace with God. Let us know what you think of our album review on our website, tappingvinyl.com. And it's a reminder, you'll find all sorts of good stuff up there uh, related to the albums that we've looked at in the past. And uh, you'll find some good stuff up there on this particular episode as well. And please subscribe. If you haven't already to the podcast, if you know somebody who will like it, subscribe to that as well. We're on subscribe. Yeah. We're on all uh, podcast platforms. So it should be easy to find us and you can reach us via Twitter at tapping vinyl. And you can visit our Facebook group page. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album by Tom Waits, his debut, Closing Time. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And here's hoping you don't spend Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. Merry Christmas, everyone.